Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, hey, good morning, Cross Lane. Um, the, the title of this sermon this morning is Standing in the Gap. And the subtitle is Parenting Lessons from Nehemiah. So, um, Nehemiah, it, it's a great book. If you've never read it, uh, I would encourage you to go and, and read through the book of Nehemiah um, sometime this week. Um, just a little bit of history here. So Nehemiah was Jewish, he, he was, but he was born in, in Persia, which is modern-day Iran. Um, he, he was exiled there um, from Jerusalem. Uh, Persia had invaded Jerusalem and, and conquered and taken you know, the best and the brightest back to, uh, to, to Persia to live. Nehemiah... His parents, he was born uh, in Persia. And at, at, at the time that we pick up in, in Nehemiah, we, we find that the, the, he hears back that the wall has been destroyed. Jerusalem had a wall built around it, and it had been destroyed by an invasion from another country, the, uh, 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 the country of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq. And, and Nehemiah's job... Uh, Nehemiah grew up in Persia, and and somehow he got a job as cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, uh, that's like a a cool job and a terrifying job if you think about it. So like cupbearer to the king is, hey, you're the guy that's going to sample the king's food and drink before the king eats it, just to make sure that no one's poisoned it. So like so that's terrifying so you know if if someone has tampered with the food then you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna eat it and croak um but so that's like the terrifying part but the the cool part of the job is you know he gets to he gets to eat well he gets to hang hang with the king and there's some blessings and perks that that would have come with that um job and so so nehemiah in this role he he hears back that there is that, that Jerusalem has been sacked and the, the wall has been destroyed and his heart is broken for his native country. And the, the first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears this is just to pray. So hardship comes and Nehemiah teaches us uh, to just, you know, just go to God in prayer. Pray. Take some time to ask um, God to go before him as he has a conversation with the king. Uh, he feels led. Uh, Nehemiah feels led to, to uh, you know what, I can do something about this. I, I feel maybe God is urging me to, to go and do something about this. So I'm going to pray, talk to God, uh, seek some wisdom, and then I'm going to go ask the king uh, for permission to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall around my, my native country, the capital of my native country. And so that, that, that's what he does, um, he, and he gets permission from the king to do this and resourced actually from the king to do this the king sends him with his permission and his blessing and some resources to help send him on his way and so uh the now there's a couple of pictures we want to show you uh just so you can get an idea the, the of of the, what this wall around jerusalem looked like so the, the 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 wall was estimated to be eight feet thick eight feet thick most of the way around, it, it was uh, estimated to be 20 to 30 feet high, depending on where you were at, you know, around the, around the city. And then it was about two miles around um, the wall. 
And if you go back and read chapter 3 of Nehemiah, you'll find out who it was that helped Nehemiah rebuild the wall. Okay, so we're not gonna we're not gonna jump into that, but it, it was just families that lit that were that were living in Jerusalem that stepped up um, to help Nehemiah build the wall. And so you can just go through and read their names, which is kind of cool. And then we're gonna pick up in Nehemiah chapter four, uh, verses one through fourteen today. And uh, I guess I should get that out. You guys have it on the screen. Uh, I'm gonna use my technology here. Okay, so in verse 1, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When Sanballat heard, Sanballat is opposing Nehemiah and rebuilding the wall. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble burned as they are? So he's, you know, he's, he's ridiculing. He's, he's poking fun. He's, tearing, he's trying to tear him down verbally, right? And in verse 3, Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at Sanballat's side, said, What are they building? Even a fox can climb up on it and would break down their wall of stones. And then in verse 4, we, we turn to Nehemiah's prayer hear us our God for we are despised turn their insults back on their own heads give them over as plunder in a land of captivity do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart but when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted to come together and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people of the people in Judah, so the people in Jerusalem said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to their work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points in the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons, and your daughters, your wives, and your homes." Now, there, there are, Nehemiah is a great book. There, there's been a lot of great um, sermons and, and, and uh, Bible study materials and stuff written about Nehemiah and the leadership principles and the, and the biblical principles that you can gain insight from as you read through that. And I think, and what we're going to look at today, there's, there's five principles here that we can take away and apply directly to our parenting from, from that section that we just read and here they are we'll go through them real quick number one imagine the end 
create a healthy rhythm, make it personal, fight for the heart, and widen the circle. Now, we'll get into those here in a minute, but you, you can just think of these five things as bricks that we as parents will use in the wall of our kids' lives. So if you just think about our kids' lives, our families' lives, that we're building a wall of safety and security around our families, around our kids, and that these five things are gonna take and, and be bricks that we use to build the wall around, around our, our, our kiddos and our families. So if you're here today and you're a parent or a grandparent, if you're a guardian or a foster parent, if you are an aunt or an uncle, if you want to be a parent someday, really anyone who, who is raising children right now or might be in the future, what I'm about to say to you could be offensive. You, you, you might hear it and take it the wrong way. You know, what's, how's he going to tell me how to parent? You know, uh, please don't, please don't, you know, don't, 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 um, if, if something you hear hit, hits you hard, I want you to perk up. Uh, pay attention, lean in. Uh, I'm not just gonna beat you up and then, and then just leave, okay? I, I wanna wake you up, I wanna equip you, I, I wanna help you to be better parents, all right? That's, that's the heart behind anything that I'll say th this morning, all right? So now, I've been working with, with students for over 20 years. Uh, I, I'm the parent of two kids. Who are, who are both now adults. And I'll just be honest, what, what I'm seeing and experiencing is in, in church life and families, it, it, it's concerning. Families are broken, parents are broken, children are broken. And, and in fact, here, here, here's just one way in which, in which they are broken, and this, this is concerning. You should, you should, this should bother you, okay? In, in, in a 2019 survey by the Barna Group, the percentage of young adult dropouts has increased from 59% in, in 2011 to, 69, to 64% in 2019. And that's two years ago. And that, that it's, it, it, again, it's, I guess it's, it's trending upward, right? Nearly two-thirds of, of, of 18 to 20-year-olds in the U.S., who grew up in church, told Barna that they have withdrawn from church involvement as an adult after having been active as a child or teen. So in other words, when, when your children graduate from high school, 65% of them are, are leaving the church. Like they, they stop going to church. They stop being involved. Now, that, and that's just one problem, but none of the problems are beyond repair, okay? It, the, all the stuff can be fixed, but it'll take a tremendous amount of prayer to fix, a tremendous amount of resolve to fix, of work to fix, of fighting to fix. To, to write this thing, it will take parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and caregivers who are willing to stand in the gap, in the wall, of, of their kids' lives and be ready to fight, okay? Be ready to fight, to defend our children at all costs from the enemy who is prowling around looking to destroy us. And to do this, it will be a fight. You will get wounded in this fight, but the fight is worth it. 
I'm just, I'm just telling you, the fight is worth it. Raising our kids, right? You know, we get one shot. Now, you might have like five kids, and so you're like, well, Ryan, I get five shots. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, you do in a way, but you get, you get one opportunity. You, I think you understand what I mean. In that. You, like, you, you get one opportunity to raise your kids up. So we get one shot, one chance. And through our Christian perspective, what we do, how we raise our kids matters on, on an eternal scale, right? If we really believe that God is real, that God created everything, that God sent Jesus, that Jesus is God, that he came to pay the penalty for our sin and give us a way to, to spend eternity in heaven with him, the way in which we parent matters on an eternal scale. Okay. Right? So, to the hard part. Parenting is hard. Amen? Can I get an amen? <laughs> right? It's the hardest job that we'll ever do. And there, there's a lot to it. You know, working for money, feeding, clothing, teaching, cleaning, driving, loving, encouraging, disciplining kids is hard and time-consuming, right? And it takes a lot of thought and diligence. And, and you know, parents, we, we can get caught up in all kinds of other stuff that life throws at us, and we forget about our roles. Sometimes we forget about our roles as the spiritual leaders for our children, that it is up to us as parents to teach our children about the way of Jesus, and that there are too many parents who are either over, overwhelmed with their responsibilities or maybe ignorant of their responsibility, like their spiritual responsibilities. Maybe the church has done a poor job of teaching you and equipping you to, to parent, to be the primary spiritual teacher to your kids. And I say, yes, you, you parents are to be the primary spiritual teacher for your kids, not Brett, not me, not, not Becky, uh, our children's director, you. You are to be teaching your kids about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. You are to be teaching them how to love their neighbor and how to serve those around them and how to pray and how to be generous and how to forgive and how to show grace to a world who is desperate for it. And you're like, well, Ryan, how can you say all this? Like, you're the pastor. You should, you're, you know, you've been raised up by God to be uh, the spiritual teacher in our kids' lives, right? And, and you know, I, I'm a pastor. After all, you get paid to teach this stuff, right? Well, let's, let's just take a quick glance through how God instructs us to raise our kids as parents. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I mean, he, he, he's saying to us just through that one passage, it's like everywhere you go, all the, through all that you do, Talk about this stuff with your kids. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Start your children off on the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17. Discipline your children, and they will give you peace. They will bring you the delights that you desire. Now, now 
Could it be, you know, di- discipline in the way that you're probably thinking about it? Sure. Like your kid does something wrong and there's a, there's a discipline, there's a consequence. You know, spanking, timeout, lo- loss of privilege, wh- whatever it is, h- however you discipline. But I want you to think about discipline also through the lens of there are disciplines or, or practices that we can teach our kids, things that we can teach our kids about God, about how to live godly lives. So just when you read discipline, don't automatically think spanking, right? Think, oh, okay, it's, it, it can be more than that. Because that word comes up a couple different times through these scriptures. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. Listen, my son, <coughs> to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Matthew chapter 6, verses 33 and 34, right from the mouth of Jesus. But seek first His kingdom, God's kingdom, and His righteousness. Seek those things first, not fourth. Not if it's convenient. Seek, seek God's kingdom first. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, the Apostle Paul tells us, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy... You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And I would just point out, Paul is pointing out to Timothy, Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures since infancy. Who taught Timothy from infancy the Holy Scriptures? His parents, right? <clears throat> now, I'm reading a book uh, titled Handing Down the Faith. It's a book f- for parents that, that is just helpful, educational, in we, how do we as parents help our kids, assist our kids, teach our kids, equip our kids with our faith. How do we take this faith that I believe in as an adult and pass it on to my children? I want you to look at this quote from this book. It starts this way, intergenerational religious transmission. It's just that. How do I take my faith and teach my kids what I believe to be true? Here's what it says about intergenerational religious transmission. Parents are responsible for preparing their children for the challenging journey of life during which they will hopefully become their best possible selves and live happy, good lives. Religion provides crucial help for navigating life's journey successfully, including moral guidance, emotional support, and a secure home base. So parents should equip their children with knowledge of their religion by routinely, by routinely modeling its practices, values, and ethics, which children will then hopefully absorb and embrace for themselves. Now, Becky is our children's ministry director. I lead our middle school, high school, and college age groups. And, of course, Brett is our 
lead pastor here, but guys, we are not meant, none of the three of us are meant to be your child's primary spiritual teacher. Anything that we do here at church with your children should be a supplement to what you are already doing at home. Okay? I, that's weighty, I know. And you're, you know, some of you are like, whoa. And that's okay. Let's get back to the bricks now, okay? So how, how, do, how do we help you? How does the church help equip you as parents to, to do this? All right, so the, these five principles we can glean from Nehemiah that will help to equip us to be better spiritual parents. So the, the, first, the first brick that goes in our wall is imagine the end. Imagine the end. You, uh, imagine the end. What do you want your child's life to, to look like when they... All right, so like when they're just, let's just use 18. I know a lot of kids don't move out when they're 18 anymore, but at 18, they become an adult, and in, in theory and in practice, they should, you know, flee the nest, fly away, children. Um, imagine what you want that day to look like. How, you want, how do you want your kids to turn out when, you, when they get to that day? So another word for this is the strategy. What strategies are we going to use to get wherever we want to go with our kids how, how do we want to get there imagine the end so like nehemiah we we have to have a strategy right stop here you hear bad news nehemiah does and he prays first thing pray start thinking a strategy okay i know i'm going to go to the king i'm going to ask for equipment and a, and a leave of absence so that i can travel back and help rebuild the wall Starts developing a strategy to help him do that along the way. Strategy helps us with parenting. You're not going to wake up and be an awesome parent on accident. It's going to take work and strategy. So imagine the end. How do you want your kids to turn out? And, and you know, in, when you get in the middle of parenting and, and it gets hard, you know, like I said, it's a, it's a fight and sometimes you'll get wounded. You know, what it, you, you, you need maybe in the middle when you kind of get stuck in the mire of the middle and, and life is hard. It's like imagining what the end is going to look like might be all the motivation you need to pick yourself up and keep going. And, and, and so I would just say this, God gives us a goal with parenting, right? The goal is Jesus. We, like, in, 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 in Jesus, <laughs> there are 613 Jewish Old Testament laws that the Jews had to follow in order to be Jewish. 613. Someone counted. I didn't do it. Taking someone's word for it. 613. That's a lot. Right? That's a lot of rules to live by. Jesus is walking around doing his ministry. You can read, read about this in, in the New Testament. Jesus is walking around and the Pharisees, who are the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders of the day, they don't like Jesus. And so they're trying to trip him up. Hey, Jesus... You know, of all the laws, of all 613 laws that we follow, which is the most important? Can, can you, do you have an answer for that? And, excuse me, Jesus says, well, yeah, I can do that. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second greatest commandment is just like the first, and it's to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus modeled that for us. And that's what he calls us to as Christians. And so that's part of 
a huge part of when we imagine the end, we want our kids, just as Christians, again, this is all through the Christian filter or lens, when my kid turns 18, I want them to be as close to Jesus as they possibly can, right? How do we help them do that? Now, uh, parenting is hard. We've said that already. When you, when you get into the middle of it and you're having a rough day, you, you know, you look down the, the, the timeline and you see, what do I want my kid? How do I want them to end up? They're being a knucklehead right now, but hopefully they don't end up that way. What am I going to do to help them? Well, back here in the back of the church, there's a, a wooden playground. Uh, a few years ago, I built that. Uh, I had a couple guys here at church help me uh, do that. But So you, I went to Menards, and you bought a, I bought a kit. came in a big box. had a big old picture of the, the completed playground on it. And you get all the, the nuts and bolts and stuff and the swings and all, you know, all the stuff. And then you got to buy the lumber, and then you got to cut all the lumber, and you, know, you need drills and screws and saws and all the, all the stuff. But you re, you know, reading through the instructions, it, it can, it's like, what? Sometimes I struggle with just like reading words on a page and imagining what it's going to look like when it's completed. So whenever I got what I was reading the instructions and I would get stuck, I could look at the picture on the box and see what the end product was supposed to look like and be like, okay, that board goes there that way. All right, that makes more sense, right? When you can see the, the end and what it's supposed to look like, it's helpful to us, especially on those hard days where we're struggling, we're beat down, we're weary, we're, we're worn out, whatever. Okay, God, this is hard right now, but, but what am I fighting for? Oh, I'm fighting for my kid to turn out to be a, a Christ follower when they turn 18 so that they don't, they're not one of the statistic of the, of the two-thirds of people that will walk away from their faith. I don't want my kid to walk away from the faith. So what, what strategies am I going to come up with to employ to help my kid become as close to Jesus as they can? Number two, Second brick, create a healthy rhythm, or another word we could use here is habits. Create a healthy rhythm in your family. Annie Dillard says this, how you spend your days is, of course, how you spend your life, right? How you spend your days is, ha- is how you spend your life. What, what do you end up doing? Whatever you're doing today makes up your life. Andy Stanley, from his book, The Principle of the Path, says, it's direction, not intention, that determines the destination. It's direction. What direction are you headed in? Because we we've got all sorts of intentions. You know, I intended to spend more time with my kids. Well, but work got in the way. Oh, I intended to read my Bible more. Honey, I'll clean the garage tomorrow. We, you know, our, we can have good intentions, but sometimes our, our, our true direction gets in the way. And whatever direction we're headed, well, that determines your destination. Makes sense, right? So, so how do we as parents get our kids on a good path for life? Well, we insist that our, we insist lots of things as parents, right? We, hopefully you, you're insisting that your kids eat right uh, and, br- and brush their teeth. Um, and, and, and your kids, you know, they have to do their homework and so on and so forth. And, we, you know, you got an F. Why did you get an F? Like, you can work, you're, you're, you know, we can get you help. What's going on? Let's figure this out. 
right? We, you know, um, we set traditions for our families that might be uh, centered around a, a holiday like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, family picnics, family reunions. We might have daily devotional times with our kids. We, and we do all of these things. Just, so just think about the habits in your life that you're currently have maybe are intentional that you've set up or maybe that you've just fallen into some, some habits. Think about these habits. What habits do you need to employ uh, to establish good patterns for our lives? What is missing from your routine? If you, again, imagine the end. I want my kid to be as close to Jesus as possible. How am I going to help him get there? What habits am I, am I as parent employing in my family's life to help my kid get to the end goal? Maybe what do you need to delete from your routine? What, what's something that you're doing that's just like, oh man, that's, that's garbage. Or that's, it's okay. Now, here, let me give you a hint. Okay? Church is not optional. Church is, is, it, it, church is not optional. Now, track with me here. This is not a legalistic statement. Not at all. Can you miss church? Yes, you can miss church, okay? You, you do not have to be here every Sunday. Jesus will forgive you if you can't make it. No one on staff, if you miss a Sunday and, and like you bump into Brett at the store, he is not going to like march up to you and be like, where were you? Uh, you missed. You can't miss. How dare you, right? You, you, no, no one on staff, no one on staff is going to question where you were if you happen to miss. But you cannot spend 18 years teaching your kids that church is optional and expect them to be spiritually mature young people. You cannot spend 10 years doing travel ball on the weekends and sleeping in every other Sunday or coming to church only if there is nothing else going on or coming to church and leaving your kids home when they're teenagers to sleep in cannot do those things and expect that your kids are going to grow deep roots in their faith. You just can't. Craig Rochelle is a pretty famous pastor. He, he, he says this, you have to say no to some good things in life to be able to say yes to the great things in life. And, and you guys know this to be true. Every time you say yes to something, you're automatically saying no to other things, Right? Every time you say yes to something, it means that you're saying no to some other things that you could have been doing in its place. In other words, you have to have some margin in your life so that when a great thing comes along, you have the time and the energy to be able to say yes to the great thing. Is sleeping in a good thing? Yes. Is, is travel ball a good thing? Yes. But when you say yes to those things, what are you giving up? When you say yes to those things, sleep in on Sunday, oh, missing church. Can you miss church once in a while? Sure. Again, Jesus loves you, forgives you. We're not keeping tabs on you. We're not going to make you feel guilty when we bump into you at the store like, how dare you? You missed. Right. That's not how it's going to go. But when you, your, your actions are teaching your kids something. And you're missing out on some other things when you say yes. So 
evaluate, you, you as parents, we have to evaluate the amount of time that we are spending with God and the quality of time that we're spending with God. Right? So, uh, you, we're, it's all about what habits do we have in our life? What, can we, what do we need to add? What do we need to delete? How can we do better? What can we do to help get our kids to, to that end goal of looking as much like Jesus as they can when they turn 18? Number three, third brick we're putting in the wall, make it personal. Make it personal. Here's what I mean by that. The Sunday edition of the New York Times has more info in it than the average person in the 19th century would have gotten in a lifetime. We live in the information age. We're going to spend five months of the next year listening to or watching media. TV, radio, internet, YouTube, TikTok, all the stuff, all the junk, right? How much of that do you actually remember? You know, we, we, we tune out most of the local news unless it's personal, unless it hits close to home. So here, here, here's what this looks like. Uh, hurricane hits Florida. Oh, man, that stinks for them, especially maybe if you know someone that's down there. Tornado hits Terre Haute, well, that's awful, <laughs> right? Because it, it, hit, it hit close to home. Um, robbery down south of town at, at Knife Point, ooh, hope that person's okay. We, uh, a few years back, we had a block to the north of where I live. We had a neighbor that at, in the evenings, dark, hears a noise out front, goes out to investigate, Flashlight, guy breaking into his car, he confronts the guy and gets stabbed. That, Lori and I heard that and we're like, whoa, that's close to home. How can we better defend our home, right? What should we do? Uh, so, make sure doors are locked, all, you know, all the stuff, right? So, if, if you hear news and it's close to home, it, it's just, just it, it's more personal. Um... Many of you went to church as a kid, but maybe you didn't really start living your, your, some of you, this is certainly not apply to everybody, but a lot of you went to church as a kid, but maybe you, you didn't really start living out your faith for Jesus until you were an adult be, because it, as an, it just became more personal as an adult. Not saying it can't become personal as a, as a kid, but there are sometimes kids, these are the kids I think that might wander off because they just didn't, it didn't become really personal. Um, while they were a kid and they get to be an adult, and they're like, well, I can make my own decisions now. Mom and dad aren't going to force me to go to church, so uh, I'm just going to leave. What can you do to help make your faith your faith? Remember, you're here as an adult because you want to be here. You're just dragging your kids along with you. And might I suggest here that you make getting your kids to youth group a priority. Bring your kids to church. Make them go to youth group. They will make friends. That's personal. You know what? While they're here, we are going to echo and reinforce and repeat some of the things, most of the things that you're teaching your kids at home that helps make it personal. We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to teach them in, a way, in an age-appropriate way about Jesus. How do we transfer our faith to our kids? Guys, we can't make our kids want what we want for them. 
can we? I can't make my kids be a Christian. I want them to be a Christian desperately, but I can't make them do it. So how do, how do I then transfer my faith to my kids? We go back to that quote, the uh, intergenerational transmission of faith is we have, to, we have to live it out. Our kids have to see us. They have to see us be passionate about our faith. My, my kids have to see that, my, that this faith, this thing that we go to church to learn about, this God is real and personal and powerful in my life. I, I have to attend to the fires of my faith. If my kids see me passionate about this thing, they'll learn up, they'll, they'll grow up learning that they, you know, mom and dad are passionate about it, serious about it, it, and it becomes this powerful thing in their life. When have you felt closest to God in your life? Can you name the times? When have you felt closest to God in your life? Camps, retreats, uh, church on Sunday mornings, small group Bible study, serving someone else. Make time for those things because you'll attend the fires of your faith, right? So number four, fight for the heart. This is the fourth brick. Fight for their hearts. When our kids were little, uh, they played Little League Baseball over here at Terrytown Baseball, and <clears throat> which is you know real close to home, just around the corner here from our church. And we were over there, you know what parents do while the kids are out uh, uh Practicing is you're standing around talking with the other parents, right? And I and I was talking to one of the dads one time um, on the field, and uh, faith came up, church came up, and I invited. I said, "Hey," and this was before I was on staff at at Cross Lane. Um, just a regular guy o- over here with my kids doing baseball stuff, and church came up, and I and I was on fire in my faith, you know, like, "Hey." Hey, you should come to church. It's our, our church is right there. It's Cross Lane Community Church. It's a cool place. You would love it. You don't even have to dress up, right? All the all the stuff 20 years ago. It was like, you don't even have to dress up. You could just come come as you are, that kind of thing. And I'm and I'm having this conversation. And the dad says, Yeah, you know, my wife and I, we we believe in God, but we don't want to force our faith on our kids. So we're probably not going to come to church. And I I don't know what my face, sometimes I have a hard time guarding my face, my facial expressions, right? Because my jaw was on the floor. I was thinking, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you don't want to force your kids, your faith on your kids. You force your kids to do all kinds of things, right? You just, you just do. We, you force them to brush their teeth. You, for, you force them to go to bed at a certain time. You want your kids to make great friends. You make your kids do, do their homework, right? You make your kids be nice to other kids. I mean, you make your kids do all kinds of things. Why, why wouldn't you take them to church with you? That made no sense to me. There was a, when our kids were little, also uh, our daughter's the oldest, and then 18 months later we had our son, Noah who's the drummer up here, by the way, just a fun fact for you guys. Um, he's an awesome kid. Um, it's not a kid anymore. He's a grown man and can beat me in arm wrestling now. Uh, so um, he, when our kids were, I don't know exactly when we started, four or five years old maybe, I, we, I started taking my daughter out on daddy-daughter dates. I wanted to teach my kids 
about about dating and about relationships and and I, I, I wanted so I you know I would do the whole deal I would I would dress up and I would go to the front door and I, on my of my own house knock on the door hi Mrs. Persh is is Abby ready for our date and I would have some flowers and t- take her to the car and open the car door and the whole thing and I would do the whole thing with my daughter and then when my son got old enough he would go out with my wife and she they would go out on mommy Sundays and and we made it we just made a thing of it we did that several times over the years well why would we do that well because we wanted to teach our kids all about healthy relationships as best we could as parents we, we wanted to take that very seriously as moms and as mom and dad to our two kids and so that you know what when my daughter started dating she would know that she was supposed to be treated like a queen. That the guy that she, that she was going out with, when, when she would go out, if he didn't treat her like a queen, she would know automatically and boom, kick him to the curb, right? That, that's, that was the hope and that was our intention. And, and, and same thing with my son. My, my wife would teach our son how to treat a woman and from her perspective and uh, and of course, I was having those conversations with him too. I wanted to teach my son as much as my daughter, but so we we just it was part of our family life. Now, just imagine if we had thrown our hands up when they were when they were young and just said, "Well, oh well, I don't want to force anything on my kids that I believe." That makes no sense. You know, they'll just learn it on their own. They'll just watch TikTok and they'll they'll figure dating out from that. Yeah, that's a great idea, right? So fight for their heart guys the these things that the things that you're passionate about the things that you're holding uh, onto as truth the, the 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 christian ethic you we have to fight for the hearts of our kiddos and fighting for the hearts of our kiddos means it takes work and thought and strategy and planning and good habits and imagining the end and all the stuff we have we you know in, in, in the middle and along the way. Fight for their hearts. You get one shot. The fifth brick is widen the circle. It takes a village. It takes a village because parenting can be overwhelming. Amen? Right? Two, two-year-olds can be strong-willed and then you get problems on the playground and then the teenage years come and we tend, sometimes, we can tend to feel all alone in our responsibility to parent, Right? Sometimes it feels that way, maybe not all the time, but sometimes that, that feeling creeps in. And, and we, we need partners. We, we have grandparents and, and, and teachers and sports coaches and pastoral staff. How many of you have ever thought about having a spiritual partner in raising your kids? You ever, you ever thought that you, ha- you, you have some team members available to you? There's, there's three ways that churches can help can help you to widen your circle. Churches can provide resources for you. I'm a resource. Miss Becky's a resource. Pastor Brett's a resource. We are resources to help you. We've all had kids, raised kids. You know, we're, we're, we're doing our best to live out the, 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 the ethic of Jesus in our lives. And um, man, we've just got lots of experience with kids and parenting and let us speak into that when you when you have a question when you have a problem when you need some guidance or some direction when you need someone to pray with you or for you you know 
We're a resource for you. Second, second way churches can help. Do your kids have peers running in the same direction? I, I said just a little bit ago, get your kids to youth group. You know, we do, uh, Becky's got kids classes going on both services. Uh, first service, I get to come in here and be in church. Second service, I do a, a Bible study over with whatever teenagers are here. And then Wednesday evenings, we do our full-blown youth groups. So there's youth, for kids from kindergarten through 12th grade are here. And we have, so we have some awesome kids. Now, kids are kids. Kids sometimes do boneheaded things, right? But what a better place for kids to do boneheaded things than at church because they'll learn about grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and how to love one another and how to encourage one another. Like all of the stuff that we're going to talk about. And again, we're going to echo and repeat and reinforce everything almost everything that you're going to teach your kids at home. And I, I can remember, uh, well, no, that, I'm jumping ahead there. Do your, do your kids have peers running in the same direction? Um, we've got a lot of great kids in our youth ministry programs, and they're, they're tracking towards Jesus. They're headed in a good direction. Don't you want your kids to make friends with those kinds of kids. And listen, your kids will get, I've heard all the objections over the year, church is boring, I don't have any friends. Uh, those kids are mean to me over there. And again, maybe they've experienced some of that. When that stuff comes up, we deal with it in, in healthy ways. We teach them, again, grace and reconciliation and, and all the stuff. And of course, if they never come in, they'll never have friends, Right? They have to go over and they have to spend time over there and they'll make friends. Put them on a road trip. Stick them in a van with us when we go on one of our road trips. I guarantee you when they get to the end of the weekend, they'll have made some, some friends. And, but they got to show up. They got to be consistent. Do your kids have peers running in the same direction? Bring them to church. They'll get that. Third way churches can help. <clears throat> churches can provide another adult who works with kids that are saying the same things as you, the parent. I'll, I'll never forget, I don't remember exactly what, what it was. It wasn't a big thing, but it was something, some small thing that we had taught our kids over the years, and it was something that I would say a lot in, in youth group. We're, we're over here in youth group one, one evening when my kids are hanging out. My daughter, Abby, she was probably a, a, a sophomore in high school, and Diane, one of our youth sponsors, said something in a little different way, but it was the same thing that I had been saying or Lori and I had been teaching Abby, and I just saw the light bulb go off. And I thought, first, I, first of all, I was mad because I was like, Abby, I've been teaching you that your whole life. <laughs> but then I was like so thankful that we had trusted adults in the youth room that are going to speak truth and wisdom into the lives of these kids that you can just sometimes see the light bulb go off and it's just like that's it's kind of the beauty of being involved in youth ministry it's like we get to we get the privilege of, of speaking into these kids lives and sometimes seeing that light bulb go off and the understanding happen in their life so we, we need parents who are willing to stand in the gaps of the of the walls of our kids lives and build up the defenses uh, until our kids are strong enough in their faith and have the tools and the training necessary to defend themselves. 
It's our job as parents. Anybody working with kiddos. The world is a cruel place and we have an enemy who is prowling around looking to devour us. Let us not shirk our responsibility as parents to be the primary spiritual teachers in their lives. Let's help our kids get uh, to look as much like Jesus as we can along the way. Awesome? Okay, if you would pray with me, we'll close this out and let you get out of here. Uh, Father God, I am thankful this morning for your instruction, the scriptures, uh, and how you love us and teach us and guide us and correct us and rebuke us uh, through and train us through, through your word. Um, I'm thankful for a church who believes in uh, youth ministry, in uh, equipping pastors and parents uh, to help raise kiddos. Thank you for the, the holy responsibility uh, that I've had to be a parent and, and, and a resource to other parents along the way. God, and I guess my prayer for uh, anyone listening this morning is... God, just a prayer for wisdom. That, 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 that they would not be intimidated about being a, the, the primary spiritual teacher in their own kids' lives. That they would seek out help and wisdom and resources that, that you've given to them through the church and through your word. And um, God, just uh, may we do this well. May we be a, a, a light and a beacon for the world in how to parent well. Give us wisdom and strength and encouragement, God, through all this when we need it. We love you today. We pray your blessings on our week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.